You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson, and my good friend, Sarah Raven. On this episode, we're talking about a plant that we really both love, and I'm quite sure if we had to go to Desert Island, we would definitely take a pack of sweet pea seeds with us both. We really love them. They are sort of the emblem, really, of the cut flower movement because they're just so prolific. As soon as you've cut one bunch, you've got another bunch almost ready to cut again on a wigwam or a wall where you've grown them out in the garden. They're hungry plants though and there are a few, not necessarily rules, but really good tips to follow if you want really good, strong, healthy plants which are going to properly produce you bucketfuls and bucketfuls of sweet peas. And for me, Sarah, a lot of people think of Sarah as the dahlia queen or the bulb queen. I think of Sarah as sweet peas queen because the first time I saw Sarah was watching her on Gardener's World. She was in a lovely hexagonal greenhouse with Monty Don and she was sowing sweet peas into something called root trainers, which I've become very familiar with. So Sarah, tell me about you, sweet peas and root trainers. Thank you, Arthur. Yeah, I love sweet peas. I just think they are the, uh, I don't know, the sort of emblem of sweetness. <laughs> and they're so British somehow. And that's a nice thing. And they feel like a celebration of the countryside and a sort of country garden because of the whole scent thing and the fact that the more you pick, the more they flower. So they mm. are the epitome of cut and come again. And I, I think that's why they're just so incredibly generous. And we'll we'll come on to a tip of how to make that not oppressive because some people just say, oh, the thing about sweet peas is there's so many to pick. I can't keep up yeah. with it. But we've got a really handy tip for that. So we'll come on to it. But yeah, root trainers are effectively using the physiology of the legume family, which includes broad beans and French beans and runner beans. And they have this particular characteristic, which they love a long, thin root run. And basically they they put out a tap root when they germinate and that will go down really deep until it hits a barrier. And at that point it will break and then you get lateral rootlets forming down the whole length of that taproot. And this particular characteristic has been kind of used to the allotment growers' favour by using, for instance, loo rolls, because of course loo rolls or toilet rolls have a long, thin profile. It's quite green to use them because they're made of cardboard and they will disintegrate in the soil. And so traditionally allotment growers would sow one seed into each loo roll and then literally as the plant germinates, put it out with the toilet roll intact. Mm. A root trainer is even better actually because what it has is the same long thin profile, which legumes love, but it has these channels, these vertical sort of gullies down the side. So what happens is when the lateral rootlet reaches the edge of the pot rather than like in the loo where it will go twisty twisty around the edge of the pot and take several days if not a week or more to come out the bottom break off more lateral rootlet development with a root trainer the rootlets get into a channel 
And within a very, very short period of time, I mean, obviously I haven't filmed it, (laughs) but very quickly they get out to the bottom of the root trainer, which is where they're air pruned. They just break off naturally. And that rootlet then forms its own rootlets. And in our trials here, what we found is when we sowed sweet peas into a short, sort of stumpy nine centimeter pot, that was speed one. When we sowed it into a loo roll, we found that that was twice the speed. But when we sowed it into a root trainer, we were getting a plant outable seed at almost three times the rate of a short stumpy pot. So you're really using the plant's nature. And as I say, it's sort of physiology to your benefit because it means the space between sowing and flowering is shortened. And that is what's so fantastic. And so now... In January and February, just you know, before spring really begins, it's one of the first things that we do mass sowing of because these are hardy annuals and they are perfectly happily planted out in the garden from sort of the middle of March here in Sussex. And then they thrive like broad beans actually in cold weather with lots of rain and they then put their roots down even deeper before the strain of flowering. And so they carry on sitting in the garden in March into April, into the beginning of May. And at that point, often they suddenly shoot off and start climbing up their climbing frame. And by the end of May, uh, if you sow them in January or February, you should have flowers. Mm -hmm. Shall we talk about varieties, Arthur? What are your favorite varieties? Yeah, I mean... It's it's very interesting the variety selection. I I love a tall stem because I love I love picking them, and I love a big flower. But the problem is the bigger varieties, the newer ones, which are what, what are normally from the Spencer group, which is from the the Spencer family, Lady Princess Diana's family. They had a gardener who bred these Spencer varieties because there was a, a gap in the market of having sweet peas that looked frilly and blousy. So we've created these sweet peas that are big and blousy and in a marquee on the kitchen table. They look really gorgeous and umphy, but they lack perfume. So my rule is now to go back to an old variety and match that with a new variety that I like. So I always try and buy two packets of sweet peas, one from a Spencer and one from an old variety. And it's quite interesting, the names, the names of the new varieties are quite tackier than the old ones. Mm. So the old varieties are all named after monarchs and lords and <laughs> lovely places, whereas the newer ones have got slightly less refined names. So that's kind of a rule of when you're identifying what are the newly bred ones. That's such a good tip. I've got a favourite new one called Barry Dare. I don't know who Barry Dare was. Yes. But Barry Dare is probably going to get planted with uh, Edward, Duke of York. Yes. Is, it, is that the right one, Edward yeah. Duke of York? Yeah. yeah. Because they, um, they're um they a similar colour, but the Duke of York will give me perfume, Barry Deer will give me flower size. So that's given me best of both worlds, really. Actually, it's um, Prince Edward of York, Prince isn't it? Prince Edward I always, of York. I, I thought it was wrong. wrong. Yeah, yeah, you're completely right. You're completely well, right that you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I so agree with that thing of, of planting one for massive perfume and one mm. for really tall stems and sort of you know, big, uh, sumptuous flowers and actually sort of, you know, really hiding the colour difference. So, I mean, I really love, for instance, Lord Nelson, which is a famous old grandiflora, they're called a uh, variety, even though they're not grandifloras and they haven't got particularly big flowers. But mm. I love planting that with one of the new 
uh, Spencers or the modern grandifloras like almost black. And so then you get the longer stems and the more flowers from almost black, but you get the absolute knockout perfume of Lord Nelson or Black Knight. Yeah, Black Knight's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's such a good tip. I totally agree with you. And so what sort of frames are you going to grow them on? Well, um, I always have to grow my sweet peas in pots because that's all I've got. And I always try and think about sweet peas when it's bulb planting time because what happens is if I fill all my pots up with with bulbs, particularly if they all get planted with tulips, I really struggle to get my sweet peas out at the time that they want to be planted out because obviously when it's peak tulip time in a traditional cutting garden, that's when you'd be planting out your winter zone sweet pea plants. So if you've planted all your pots with peony tulips, for example, they're Mm. all going to look absolutely gorgeous unless you choose to harvest that entire pot take the tulips out and you have to do that because you have to really enrich the soil before you plant your sweet peas out. So I've learned a hard lesson. I have to select my biggest, deepest pots that I then do a big birch wigwam in, but I can only plant them with really early early spring bulbs. Yeah. So I've done crocuses in the pots that I know will become my sweet pea pots mm. and that's the only bulbs that I do in those pots. So I still get a nice flurry of colour in February and March, but then by April, the crocuses have gone over and I can lift the crocus and then really pack the pot full of molehill soil mixed with really the best organic chicken manure I can find. If I've got anyone who's got well-rotted manure, homemade compost, that goes in too. Yep. Because sweet peas are the hungriest plants you can grow. And I think that's why a lot of people go wrong with them and they get disappointed because if they go hungry... Not only do they hardly flower, they also get something called mildew within a week. And that starts from the bottom of the wigwam up. It's like wildfire. And once you've got that, unfortunately, it's very hard to to stop it. Mm. So feeding and watering are the top things. If you're like me and you're growing your sweet peas in pots, you have to feed them once a week and water them once a week. And liquid seaweed fertiliser I find to be their favourite thing. Yeah. And also a potash rich fertilizer too. So, yeah. And you can make an, your own organic from either you buy some comfrey pellets and just melt them down in water and use that. Mm. Just like you would for tomatoes, they, they thrive with exactly yes. the same feed. So rich in potash and a comfrey is naturally incredibly rich in potash. Or you can literally chop up your comfrey leaves or if you've got a friend with comfrey in the garden and put them into... I find that if you can get yourself one of those cider barrels, which have a tap in the bottom, and you can just cut a hole in the top and um, pack in all your comfrey leaves and then fill that up with water and leave it for two weeks. And then the tap at the bottom, or or you know one of those like wine boxes, but you just... um, you literally just drink the wine or the cider and then and then use that rather nifty little, um, you know, the thumb released tap at the bottom. And out comes this really stinky, stinky liquid, which really is quite unpleasant. So you want to do it outside. And I then put those into old uh, milk cartons and keep them in the shed and then <laughs> dilute that comfrey juice one to ten, ideally in rainwater rather than tap water. And then I find... My potted sweet peas particularly really, really benefit from that. It just seems to give them a tonic and it keeps mildew at bay, just like you said with the with the liquid seaweed fertilizer. Mm. But I should I should add before you get to planting out stage, for those of you without a greenhouse, you'll have to germinate your sweet peas inside like I do on the kitchen windowsill mm-hmm. in your root trainers. And then as soon as they get 
about three inches high, they need to go outside straight away into a cold frame because if you allow them to get elongated and leggy, they're pretty much useless. Mm. The cold will save them from becoming like that, but they need protection from the wind and the rain. So mm. little cold frame or mini greenhouse by the door, you can easily fit the whole little creche root trainer set into that sort of thing. And they can then grow on in there really happily and snugly. And they won't put on tons of top growth, but you'll see if you lift each little block of root trainers out, you'll quickly see the roots coming through the bottom, just as Sarah described. The, the channels of the root trainer really encourage those roots to go down. Mm. And then you can just nip the roots out, actually, and mm. it's called air pruning. Mm. And what that does is it encourages, again, a really wonderful root formation. And then going back to the actual seedling, once there are four pairs of leaves, you then pinch out the tip with your thumb and forefinger, and that, Sarah and I have found, is essential to create a nice bushy sweet pea mm. that's strong. And that will then ensure you get tons of flowers rather than one long whip, which mm. will give you bigger flowers but less. Mm. It's completely true. So the old-fashioned way of then planting your sweet peas is what's called cordon growing. And it's very much what people tend to do if they want to win the sweet pea competition because that will give you longer stems but fewer of them. And I find it too much of a palaver. I've done it a few times here, but what it means is that you allow one vine to grow up a cane. So rather than loads and loads of sort of jumble, you pinch out all the side shoots, just like you do with tomatoes. So you get one vine and all the auxiliary buds have gone. So all the energy of the root goes into forming bigger flower stems with more flowers on them. And then when it gets to the top, of the cane, you take it off and you take it two or three canes along and turn the tip up onto the, that one, you know, the vine has taken it to in terms of length and turn the tip up that and then it grows on up that and it'll give you a second crop of flowering stems. But it is a palaver and it involves removing all those tenderly bits. So the honest truth is, I don't think Arthur does that either. We don't do that here anymore. We literally let them rump up a normally a silver birch teepee or a hazel and jute netting frame and so do you want to chat about structures and things Arthur? Yeah absolutely so as well as making sweet pea sowing your your winter job you also want to be thinking about your structures and it's harder in a town environment to get hold of brushwood and hazel but there are suppliers online you can find um, recently I found a a race course supplier that supplies bundles of birch at vast expense, I have to say, works out about a quid a stem. But they will deliver it and a bundle will really help you through your entire growing season. You can use these bundles for wigwams and making nest supports for your dahlias. So to be honest, I think it's worth the investment. But if all you've got are bamboo canes, what you have to do is make your teepee and then you would tie nice hessian garden string to the base and then basically cobweb the string around each bamboo cane, twirling it round and round to create this cobweb effect, which the tendrils of the sweet peas will then be able to latch onto. Because the problem with a bamboo cane is it's too slippy for yep. a sweet pea tendril to latch onto. And then if all they've got is that, they just heap at the base of the teepee and they can't get to the top mm. and they just swamp onto one another. But if they've got a tactile grip, they'll really quickly grow up a wigwam. And you want your wigwam to be about seven foot high. So those very expensive little plaited willow wigwams that you see at the garden centre, they're not going to be tall enough for sweet peas to, to gallop up. They're going to get to the top and then want to continue to grow. 
So it's really worth making your own wigwams. And if you're like me and doing them in a pot, you've already got that circle shape just to work work on. But if you're doing a sweet pea wigwam in the ground, get yourself a dustbin lid, put that on the ground, and then work your way around that. Normally, you want to use an odd number of canes or perch birch branches or hazel branches. Mm-hmm. Just put five or seven and then bunch them all together. You'll need a chair. Bunch them all together, tie them at the top. And we use something called flexi tie, which is made from recycled car tires. And the reason we use that instead of string is because as the birch dries through the summer, you want that material to gather up with the birch as as the the original knot gets smaller. If you just use string, it often becomes loose by about June and the whole thing will come apart. So flexi tie prevents that. And you can reuse flexi tie again and again. It's quite versatile. We really love it. And um, that's it, really. You can just let your sweet peas grow up that. The only thing I'd say is tying in any large tendrils which decide to grow on the outside of the wigwam. Often they don't latch on properly, and so you have to tie them in very gently. We use little paper trysts, which are really helpful and make the job really quick. And then as soon as they start to flower, obviously you have to pick, but you also have to pick any big tendrils that haven't latched onto the wigwam too, because they get really huge and will take all the energy away from the flower. So pick a bunch of flowers and pick a handful of tendrils whenever you're picking your sweet peas. And that will encourage as many flowers as possible to be produced. Yeah, and I, I, um, I honestly think I think you, well, between us, but mainly you have said absolutely everything about sweet peas, bar one thing. But you mm. may have some other things you want to finish with, which is um, when I'm picking, I always pick into a bucket of water. Yeah, and I, I put rubber bands before I go out into the garden. I put rubber bands on my wrist. If I'm picking quite a few, I might put ten rubber bands on my wrist. And I pick with the orange handle florist scissors because I find them much nimbler than secateurs and just as easy and light as kitchen scissors, but much sharper. And so I pick with them. And so I go out into the garden with a stainless steel bucket over my arm. And I tend to take a tub truck or another bucket with me so that any of the tendrils or dead heads, which I will get rid of as I'm picking, plop into that and that can go straight onto the compost heap. But so I then pick and I tend to do one variety in a bundle in my hand and then I rubber band it, the stems, and plop it into water. And then I move on to the next colour and I pick a good handful and I rubber band it and plop it into the water. And what I find then is it's so quick and easy to make a table centre because I get them inside and I tend to use what I call my glass hellebore bowl for a table centre of sweet peas, particularly when the stems are getting short towards the end of the season. And I find I can then just plop, 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 and one in the middle, each of these bunches, even with quite short stems. And then I go in and I cut the rubber bands with the scissors once they're all safely secured in the vase or in the bowl. And then I sort of zhuzh it a little bit like a hairdo, sort of lifting some stems up and and sort of pulling sun stems out so that they break the side of the vase. But that way, even if I've got perhaps 50 stems of sweet pea in a bowl, it literally takes me less than a minute to arrange them. It's just super quick. And that the rubber band technique really, really helps with that. And as I say, particularly as you have with things like machicana, which is the most strongly scented sweet pea in the world, the stems get really short by the end of the season, but it doesn't matter two hoots because you actually want them no more than sort of five or six inches to make a really nice table centre over which you can chat to your friends with the scent wafting up. Mm. 
And the final thing is sometimes to get the plants to carry on flowering for longer, we actually do almost like what I suppose could be thought of as a Chelsea chop. So once they're really flowering away, let's say in June, it's quite often I'll pick a whole truss down to, you know, maybe even like 75 centimetres into the plant. And that way I'm picking a whole vine or two thirds of a vine, the tip of the vine anyway, which might have five flowering stems on that section and some will just be buds. But you then get this lovely, almost like curtains of sweet peas coming out the side of the vase and it gives such sort of elegance, kind of Dutch still life look to something that people tend to think of as quite formal in a way, sweet, well, not formal, but you know, quite sort of classic, I suppose. And this gives it a much more sort of abundant, loose kind of feel. And of course, by picking those five stems in one, I am not then having to deadhead because that the plant will then push out auxiliary buds at that lower level and that will then produce flowers in about three weeks' time. So it's a way of, in a way, prolonging the flowering of your plant and I find that works really well and it's something I do more and more each year. So if you're going on holiday, that's a great thing to do, isn't it, before you go, I suppose, to pick your last bunch a few days before you're due to leave. And then you don't have that nightmare thing of coming back and just having a wigwam or TP covered in seed heads. Exactly, exactly. And Sarah, where are sweet peas from? Because they aren't British, are they? They're not British natives. Now you've got me, Arthur. No. Are they from Sicily? Oh, yes, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't didn't think they're from the South Mediterranean. And uh, they're from the south of Italy originally and Sicily. You're completely right. Mm. Well, that's where I've seen them in the wild anyway. And to be honest, they're not the most vigorous of things. But when you see them in the wild, I was sort of expecting almost um, stupidly, really, to look almost like... Fair raven hedges. Yeah, well, old old man's (laughs) beard in the hedges at this time of year, you know. They're just a great abundance of wonderful scented lanes, Mm. Uh, completely canopied on all sides with these wild sweet peas. And when I found them, I found literally just sort of three little plants with three scraggy flowers on each. Oh. And so it was like <laughs> disappointing. Couldn't take any home for your no, holiday kitchen table. Not at all. <laughs> but anyway, that is where our wild sweet pea has originated. And then mm. a monk called Kupani oh. uh, started to refine them and collected seed over his whole lifetime, always selecting for the bigger flowers, the more flowers and the longer stem. And that actually is the origin of of both Kupani's original and Machicana. I think that they were sent, one lot was sent to the Chelsea Physic Garden in London and one lot was sent to another monk in the Andes in a village called Machicana. And I think that is where the name originates and where all our sweet peas were then used as breeding material, uh, or part of it anyway, and crossed with other wild sweet peas that were found in other parts of the world. So chapter and verse on sweet peas, I hope, I can't think of anything else to say on sweet peas. I just wondered if you were growing, what, what varieties are you sowing this winter? Uh, so I'm a great and passionate believer in separating the palettes. Mm. So I really, I've got the, the, the sort of dark and rich ones mixed with the brights yeah. to bring a little bit of sort of, I don't know, fruitiness and, and, and zest into the dark and riches. So I've got Winston Churchill and Windsor growing with Lord Nelson Blue Velvet and Machicana. So those Mm. are my sort of dark and rich ones. And then 
I have got a few pails. I'm really quite keen on these speckled ones now. Like I really love the one called Nimbus. Yes. Which is just beautiful, I think, which is a sort of pale base, but these dark, rich purple wings and speckles Mm. and sort of dots all over them. That's a beauty. Lilac Ripple is another beauty, which I I like. Wiltshire Ripple too. They remind me of those marbled wartime balloons. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I like them more and more actually. Yeah. So for the paler end in the garden here, I'm going to have lots of those growing this year. But yeah, it's exciting. And it's often the first job I do in the year. So, you know, right in the first week of January, it's it's often the the first job that I do. Me too. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Arthur, for giving us all your incredible experience and piles of wisdom on sweet peas, which I know you've loved throughout your whole life. Next week, I'm actually on my own with somebody who I think's one of our great plants people and nurserymen, Graham Goff from Marchant's Hardy Plants, which is a nursery actually quite near me, between me and Lewis. And he has the most wonderful range of plants growing in this wonderfully beautiful place. And he is extremely knowledgeable about snowdrops. He is what you would call a galanthophile. And he also has a a really beautiful range of sort of January, February flowering things. So I'm going to chat to him about his favourites. So see you then. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.